Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gospel message. Lord, if there are any here who, who don't yet know what heaven embraces, we pray that today would be the day they come to know you. And, uh, and we pray that not just for people here, but for people all, all over the world, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And God, we pray that you would strengthen us to do our part in telling them this wonderful message. Help us now as we look into your word. Would you speak to our hearts directly um, by your Holy Spirit to us? Help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start my message with an illustration today. Uh, I was traveling across Fergus Falls. You know Fergus Falls isn't very big. It doesn't take very long to get across Fergus Falls. Um, and I was, I was with my son Josiah, and he said to me, I really like birch trees. They're one of my favorite trees. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I, I like birch trees as well. And uh, they have a neat bark to them. We had one in the yard that I grew up in. Uh, we had one there. Um, and I said to him, well, why, why did you say that? Why, oh, I, I, I saw one. And I, I thought, really? You saw a birch tree? I, I thought we didn't really have those in Fergus Falls. I, di- I didn't think there were many of them around. So we, on our, on our drive home, just you know, like five minutes across town, we said, let's, let's look for birch trees and see how many of them there are. And in my opinion, there were like none. I had the only one in town growing up. And uh, we were keeping our eyes open. And right away, there's 10 of them, 15 of them, right at the college entrance. And then we're going just to some residential parts of, of town, and there's one, and there's one, and there's one. And then we get onto my road, and just one block from where I live, there's two big ones. <laughs> now, this says some things about me. Um, it says, one, I am not an arborist. Um, two, as my wife could agree, I am not very observant all the time. Uh, but the, the main thing that it says about me is that I wasn't looking for them. I, I've... I lived in Fergus Falls for the first 18 years of my life, thought I had the only birch tree in town, and <laughs> pretty proud of it. But, uh, and then I come back here, and I've lived here for 10 and a half years again, and I, I thought there weren't any. I, when, he, when my son said to me, I really like birch trees, I thought, where did you see them? I did not have my eyes open to see all of them. There are, so next time you're driving around Fergus Falls, give it a try. Notice, there, there are birch trees here. Well, the reason I start off with this story is because it can be very easy for us to live here and not see the people who are in need of Jesus Christ. It can be so easy for us to get caught up with our day-to-day lives that we forget to do our part in helping people come to know Jesus or helping people grow in their faith. And I'm not just talking to you. I I am squarely talking to myself in this. You see, Fergus Falls is my hometown. And for the first 18 years of my life here, I didn't think it for, of Fergus Falls at all as a mission field. And I can still struggle with this today. You see, we can get so used to normal life that we forget to see the opportunities that are right around us. Now, it was a little different for me when I was a missionary in Turkey. I, I went there for the purpose of being a missionary, and it was so different and just, to me, kind of strange there that it was easy to see that place as a mission field, although I wonder how long it would take for that to wear off as well. And then, as we think about us living in Fergus Falls, how long have you been here? And do you see it as a mission field? I want us to remember that there's a mission field right here. We might not see it, just like those birch trees that I never noticed, but it's right here. People in our midst who need Jesus, people in our midst who need to grow in their faith and be discipled, And God will provide those opportunities for us if we will join with him in his mission, if we will open our eyes to see the opportunities that he provides. 
So I want us to be people who live on mission. That's the title of my sermon today. And what we're doing here in the sermon series, we're starting a new sermon series uh, in which we will walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll start that part next week. And the reason I picked the book of 1 Thessalonians um, is because it, it is a wonderful book about how the gospel came to Thessalonica and took root there. And I want us to consider those things. But today what I want to do is I want to take a a look at the backstory of it. We're going to take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 17, where we see the story of how Paul and some others brought the gospel message to the city of Thessalonica. Um, so, oh, there's our... Uh, that Josh put that together. Isn't that nice? Way to go, Josh. And then, um, the, the reason, by the way, uh, I like to kind of explain my PowerPoint images as I use them at the beginning of a, a series. The idea here is that, that Paul and his traveling companions often would get on a boat and take the gospel to other places. So I, I kind of picture that as being, okay, here, here we are, we're getting in the boat, where are we going? There's the land, there are the people that we're going to share the gospel with. And, and I want this, this image of a boat to, to remind us of maybe stepping out of our comfort zone and, and being people who, who take the gospel message with us. And it doesn't have to be around the world, it doesn't have to mean that you get on a boat to do it, although in Lakes Country, maybe sharing the gospel on a boat is a nice thing to do. Um, so we're going to go through um, Acts 17 right now, verses 1 through 10. And in the coming weeks, then, we will do a sermon series that will walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but like I said, I want us to be people who consider what it means for us to be gospel people. I, I want us to be people who believe the gospel with every fiber of our being. And I want us to be people who proclaim that gospel message to others. So in my sermon today, I have three points. My first point is that I want you to see how Paul was committed to spreading the gospel. My second point is I want you to see that the gospel took root in Thessalonica. And then third, this is all God's work. It's all God's work. Now, most of us probably aren't called to be itinerant missionaries like the Apostle Paul was. Uh, we, we probably won't be called to sail around the Mediterranean and, and bring the gospel message to cities. Maybe some of you will be. But even if not, please hear me on this. All of us who know Jesus should be actively engaged in the work of the gospel. And that might look very different for different people. But for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we should be actively engaged in the work of the gospel. That means that if people don't yet know Jesus, we should introduce them to Jesus. And that means that if people already know Jesus, that we should see what our part is to help them grow in their faith. And again, just... Because we're not called like Paul was to get on a boat and travel to the far reaches of the world, that doesn't mean that we don't have a mission. We should live on mission, seeing the opportunities all around us, even right here in Fergus Falls. So again, we're going to look at Acts 17, verses 1 through 10a, and then uh, we'll walk through those three points that I just mentioned. So Acts 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, 
So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So again, my first point today, Paul was committed to spreading the gospel. And and this is going to be by far my longest point of the day, so when we finish this one up, we're almost done. Uh, But I want us to learn from the Apostle Paul's commitment to sharing the gospel. And just a quick note, it wasn't just Paul. Uh, It's easy for us, like I just did in my first point here, to say, oh, it was just Paul, but it wasn't. If you look ahead to verse 14, you see that Silas and Timothy were there as well. Paul often traveled with other people on his missionary journeys. And one quick point of application there is that when we're spreading the gospel, we shouldn't do it alone. We will be more encouraged and I think better at it as we do it together. And I think that's in many ways part of God's wisdom in establishing the church is that we would do this together. Okay, let's get a map up now as we consider what we see in verse 1. This is a map of Paul's missionary journeys. There are, depending how you count them, three or four of them. His fourth one was kind of the the journey where he was being sent to prison, but uh, he was still sharing the gospel on the way, so some people call that a missionary journey. But uh, we're looking at the at the second missionary journey, which is where Paul traveled uh, from Philippi to Thessalonica, and that's up in the top of the screen. I will, I'll zoom in now a little bit so you can see that part, which is in modern-day Greece. Uh, you can see those, those bigger dots there, Philippi and Thessalonica. Paul left Philippi in chapter 16. He was severely flogged and uh, thought, what should I do? Well, I'll do the same thing I did there. I'll share the gospel and see what happens. And he traveled through those cities of Amphipolis, Apollonia, got to Thessalonica, about a hundred mile journey. And when he arrived in Thessalonica, like it says in verse 1, he went to the Jewish synagogue. It says in this passage that that was his custom. If there was a synagogue there, he would often start there. Why? Well, at a synagogue, he would find people who valued scripture. And don't get me wrong, it's not that he only wanted to share the gospel with people who already valued scripture. It's just that that would be a good starting point for his ministry. And then like it says in verses 2 through 3, I'll reread those. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. So for three weeks, Paul used scripture and he used reasoning and explaining and proving You see, Paul used his mind and good logic in talking to these people. We Christians are not people who throw away our brains and and just uh, believe whatever anybody says to us. No, we are people who study hard to get to know what God's word is so that we can proclaim it to others. Now let's take a quick look at at three of the words in here. The first one is the word reasoned in verse 2. That's a word that can mean discuss. It's the word from which we get our word dialogue. So it's very possible that, that Paul was in a, in a dialogue, in a discussion with these people as he was talking to them about scripture. Now I was thinking, um, for some people, when they, when they only come on Sunday mornings to our worship services, they say, how come you guys, when you, you know, Paul used dialogue, but you guys just have sermons here? Well, I would like to 
let you know that we have lots of other things we do at Cornerstone where there's lots of dialogue. We like to hear from you. And I think we learn scripture in some ways better when we're able to interact with each other. So if you're not regularly in a place where you have dialogue about scripture, I want to encourage you to have that. Uh, It's part of what Paul used as he was sharing the gospel. It's part of what will help us continue to grow in our faith. The second word is the word explaining, which comes from the word for open. Paul opened up scripture to these people. Do you ever feel like the Bible is a really big book and it's hard to understand? Well, if so, you are in very good company. Now, fortunately, there there are people like Paul who who knew it and could open it up for the people and explain it. And uh, we should be people who, who seek to know scripture so well that we can open it up and share it with other people. So there's a question right there. How well do you know Scripture? How well are you able to open it up and and share it with people? Or even if you don't have a Bible in front of you, can you quote it and and share it with people? It's still early enough in the New Year that if you want to make it a New Year's resolution that you would get to know the Bible better, that would be a great resolution to make and so that you could be able to explain it. It would be right on the tip of your tongue and be able to explain it to others. Wouldn't it be great if by the end of 2018 you were much better at that? This is what Paul did. He opened up Scripture. It's the same word that was used of what Jesus did. Remember the uh, conversation that Jesus had with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection? It, it says there that, that Jesus opened up the scripture to them and helped them understand that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things from Old Testament scriptures. So let's be people who, who know scripture and can open it up. Have you ever heard the saying, you know that you know something when you can explain it to others? Well, that's what I want us to be. People who know scripture and can open it, can explain it to others. Then the third word I want to highlight here is the word proving. This word means to show to be true or literally to place beside. So I like this. Paul took the things that the people already knew and and he placed beside that scripture and explained to them, proved to them that Jesus is who the Old Testament said he would be. And and that's great because what we have in the Bible is two testaments. You, You guys know this. The Old Testament speaks ahead of Christ, gives lots and lots of prophecies about Christ. What Paul did then is he showed them how those things were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. So specifically what he said, he said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now that makes sense that he would say that to people in a Jewish synagogue, right? They were looking ahead to the Messiah, and Paul was there to tell them, he's already come, I want to introduce you to him. But let's back up a little bit again, that first part of verse 3, proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And as you look back at verse 2, he was using scripture. So, here's the question for you. For those of you that have been around the block a few times, you've studied scripture for a while, where would you go in the Old Testament to prove that Jesus Christ had to suffer and had to rise from the dead? Okay? Could you do it? Could you... If you had your Bible in front of you, could you open it up and say, where does the Old Testament tell us that the Messiah had to suffer and had to rise from the dead? Now that's something that I think that as we grow in our faith, we should be able to do. So I want to give you a couple answers to both of those questions. Um, The first one, where does the Old Testament tell us that, that the Messiah had to suffer? Great place to go. Maybe some of you are thinking it. Isaiah 53. Uh, a great passage at Easter 
In that chapter, it tells us about the, the servant who we know to be the Messiah, the Christ. In Isaiah 53, 4, it says that he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. In the next verse, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Look at all the suffering language in there. And then just two verses later, it says that he was led like a, a lamb to the slaughter. So very clearly, we would say, Isaiah 53 shows us that the Messiah had to suffer. And he did it for us. You see, the story of the Bible is that we had all gone astray. Every single one of us had put ourselves on a path that would have led us away from God forever. It, that's what the Bible calls sin. We rejected God's ways and went our own ways. And what did God do? He sent his son, the perfect Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He suffered and died for us. That's what we just celebrated at communion. The, uh, how important was it in God's mind that, that we would be saved from our sins? It was so important that he sent his, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to, to suffer and to die for us. It was told ahead of us, ahead of time to us in Scripture, and it came, came to our world some 2,000 years ago. Jesus did it for us. So that's one great place, Isaiah 53. Uh, another place you could go would be Psalm 22 to talk about the, the suffering and the death of Jesus. But then what about that part getting back to Acts 17.3? Where does it say that the Messiah uh, would rise from the dead? Could you show that from the Old Testament? Could you prove from the Old Testament that the Messiah had to rise again? Where would you go? I, two places I want to mention to you. One is the one that we already mentioned, Isaiah 53. As you continue to read that chapter about the suffering and the death of the Messiah, we also see that after his death, he does things that only living people can do, including prolonging his days. Pretty amazing stuff as we read back at, at that prophecy. Then another place I like to go to show the resurrection in the Old Testament is Psalm 16. In verse 10 it says, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus went to the grave, right? We remember that part of the story. He, he was killed on the cross. They took him down and they put him in a tomb. So how can Psalm 16.10 say, You will not abandon me to the grave? Well, he went there, but he wasn't abandoned there. And I love the last part of that verse. It says, Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. He was not in the grave long enough to see decay. That verse literally came true. And then the next verse, in verse 11, says, You have made known to me the path of life. Even though he was in the grave, he had the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So it's very possible that the Apostle Paul took these scriptures that we just looked at and showed them to the people, explaining and proving to them that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So Paul spent a bunch of his life studying scripture, and he made it his goal then to proclaim the truth of that scripture to other people. And when he talked with them, he reasoned with them. He placed the truth of the gospel before the people and gave them the opportunity and the space to respond to it. It's a great pattern for us. May we be people who know scripture and place it before others and give them the opportunity to respond. So that's what Paul did in Thessalonica and as we move on to verses 4 through 10 we see that Paul was successful in his mission. It tells us in verse 4 of some people who believed him and uh, were persuaded. Um, but then it also tells us some people who um, 
caused some trouble in verses 5 through 10. Uh, we'll start there with verse 5. It talks about uh, the people of the city got some bad characters together and started a riot. They wanted to kick Paul out of the city. Well, first they wanted to find Paul. Uh, they, they rushed to Jason's, Jason's house, and who knows what they would have done to Paul if they had found him. But when they couldn't find him, um, they, they went to Jason, and they, uh, yeah, they started to bring trouble to Jason. And it's interesting what they said in verse 6. Uh, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Isn't that interesting, the reputation that Paul and his traveling companions had? That they were causing trouble all over the world, and now they've come to Thessalonica, and they're starting to turn things upside down. Or is it right side up? But any way you slice it, um, some people didn't like it. And it's interesting... Paul might not have been there for a very long time. It mentions in verse 2 that he was there for three Sabbath days, maybe just three weeks. Uh, Some people suggest that there's some extra time in between verse 4 and verse 5 that maybe Paul was there for a couple of months. But either way, Paul was there for just kind of a short time and it caused, the, the gospel caused quite a stir in the city as some people believed it and some people were really against it. But for my first point in the sermon, I just want to show you that Paul was committed to spreading the gospel. Again, he had just left a city, Philippi, where he was severely flogged for sharing the gospel. And some of us might have said, okay, that didn't go very well. I think we'll go to plan B. But for Paul, plan B was, let's go to the next city and do it. And then he got kicked out of that city and went to the next city. And you see, all through the book of Acts, the same thing for Paul. It often meant trouble for him, yet he was compelled to keep sharing that message. He lived his life on mission, and we could stand to learn a thing or two about him in that. As I mentioned earlier, it can be really easy for us to fall into a comfortable life, and that includes me. But I want us to take a cue from Paul. I want us to live on mission. It can be too easy for us not to see the spiritual needs of the people around us, just like I didn't see the birch trees all around us. I want us to open our eyes and see those people who don't know Jesus and let's share the gospel with them. I want us to see the people as well who already do know Jesus, those people that we can help grow in their faith. Let's be disciple makers. Let's be gospel sharers. Let's live on mission. Okay, like I said, that's my longest point of the day. Let's move on to point number two. The gospel took root in Thessalonica. We'll talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months as we go through this First Thessalonians series. But for today, today I just want to make a few comments about Acts 17, 4, and 7. In verse 4, it tells us that some people were persuaded by Paul's message. It, it tells us that Jews were persuaded, some of them at least. That shouldn't surprise us because Paul was talking in a synagogue. But then it also says that there were these other people, these God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. Now, we don't know perhaps exactly how they heard the message. Maybe they came to the synagogue, or maybe Paul talked with them as he was going about the rest of his life. But what we do know is that Paul was intentional about bringing the message to these people, and that they were convinced. That word persuaded can mean convinced or became a follower. And remember, in verses 2 through 3, Paul's message, what was he speaking about? The, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul brought that message to the people, and the people believed. And as those people believed, some of the other people in the city didn't like what was going on there. And that's where we move to verse 7, where some of the townspeople said they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, 
one called Jesus. Now I find that fascinating. The, the, the people of the town were, were partially right. These new believers, they were following a new king, King Jesus. And, and so often what happens then in this world, and, and praise God we don't see it that much in America, but in other places of the world, it's a reality that people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes they get persecuted. The people of the city start to change and the rulers in the city maybe don't like it. They get scared or concerned and persecution comes. And again, these people in Thessalonica, it wasn't like Paul was there for a really long time, but yet they heard the truth of the gospel message and their lives were changed. We'll see that dramatically I mean, you see it right away in the book of 1 Thessalonians. The, the gospel really, really took root there. And it makes me ask the question, are we people in whom the gospel has taken root? All that stuff about Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from the dead, it's true. He did it for the people of Thessalonica, and he did it for you. Have you given your life to Jesus? You see, a lot of people in America say that they're Christians, like as we're filling out a survey and there's a box for atheists and a box for Buddhists and a box for Christian, well, yeah, I'll pick the Christian box. But I hope that it's way more than that for us. You see, I, I don't want this just to be a Sunday thing for us. Being a Christian means that we give our lives fully to Jesus Christ. He suffered and died for us. We are to give our lives fully to him, whatever that means for us. And, and I, I was thinking again about a boat analogy. If, if, if Jesus was about to set sail on a boat and he called us to go with him and we don't even know where he's going for sure, would you go with him? That's, that's what the Christian life is in many ways. But we do know eventually where it's heading. It's heading to eternity with God in a wonderful place. But for the rest of the days of our lives here, we may not know where God would lead us. Will we go anyways? <coughs> Will we get in that boat with Jesus? Will we give our lives to him? The reason that Paul went with the gospel message to Thessalonica is because God wants us to know him. God wants the people of this world to know him, to walk with him, to do life with him now and for the rest of eternity. And that leads into our third point in which I want us all to remember that this is all God's work. Whether we're talking about sharing the gospel or simply walking with Jesus Christ, sometimes we can get the idea that it's up to us. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever, do you ever start to feel like, oh, I'm not sure I'm doing it well enough. I'm not sure I'm very good. I don't know what to do. Uh, I feel like that oftentimes. But when I feel like that, what I want to remember is that God is the one who is empowering all of this. He's given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to lead us, to help us to live holy lives, to help us to share the gospel with other people. We don't walk with God in our own power. Paul didn't go across all those places we saw on the map in his own power. He went as the Holy Spirit led him. And it's the same for us today. Maybe our, our lives feel so normal or maybe even so comfortable that we forget about God's leading. But if we will humbly submit ourselves to follow him, we will see the powerful work of God at work in our lives to lead us into the, th the things that he has for us. And that includes sharing the gospel. We don't share the gospel in our own power. Sometimes I think, I don't know what to do in sharing the gospel. I don't know how to go about starting it. I don't always know what words to say. But you know what? I'm becoming more and more okay with that. Because I recognize that God's the one who's in charge of all of it. 
And as I follow Him, He will strengthen me for whatever He has for me. And if I don't know what words to say, I can say a prayer to God, and I know that the Holy Spirit can work on the person I'm talking to as well. As we think about living on mission, let's remember that it is a co-mission with God. You've heard the word commission in the Bible. Uh, Well, I don't know that the word commission actually is in the Bible, but we talk about the Great Commission, those passages in which God tells us to go to all the ends of the world with the gospel message. Well, do you know what the word commission means? I like to think of it that we are co-workers on co-mission with God. It's God's mission. It's not like we're equal partners with God. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that it's God's mission and we join in with him on that mission. Here's one dictionary definition of the word commission. It says, if you commission someone to do something, you formally arrange for someone to do a piece of work for you. Now, I kind of like that, except I would just change one word in regards to the Great Commission. It's not that we just do work for God. It's that we do our work with God. Just like Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are co-workers on co-mission with God. Now, you're probably familiar with the Great Commission. Perhaps it's most famous in Matthew 28, the last words that Jesus spoke in that gospel. Uh, but you know, it's, it's other places in the Bible as well. Acts 1.8 would be another famous place for it. I want to show you a different one because it highlights some of the stuff we've been talking about today. Luke 24.44-47. This is Jesus speaking. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So do you see what Jesus said would happen there? He, he looked back to how the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. That's the message that Paul gave in Thessalonica. He was proving that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead. That's our message, that Jesus suffered and died for our sins, and that he rose again, that anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. And then Jesus said in verse 47, he prophesied that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all nations. That's what we saw happening in Acts 17. That's what we should see in our lives on a regular basis, that the gospel message goes out as we join with God on his mission. We should join with God in his work of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of this world, including the people of of Fergus Falls and the surrounding areas. God will supply the strength. Again, I don't always know what to do in sharing the gospel, but that's okay because God does. And really, I think the important thing in this is that we would join with God, that that we would offer ourselves like Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. And and that we would open our eyes. In Colossians 4, there's a a, a wonderful pattern of prayer there that we're, we're told to make the most of every opportunity. We're, we're, uh, we see the pattern there of praying for open doors for the gospel message. Let's, let's make those prayers our prayers. As we hopefully notice the people of Fergus Falls around us, and I, I think you guys are with me in this, right? It can be really easy to not see the people where you live. It can be really easy to overlook them. Oh, that's just a cashier. That's just somebody who's in my way. Uh, that's just my noisy neighbor. Well, 
Sometimes that's true, but uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I have good neighbors. Um, let's be people who keep our eyes open, see the opportunities that God gives, tell God that we will join with Him, that He can use us in this process. Now, again, going back to my birch tree analogy, I was amazed at how many birch trees I didn't see. Do it today as you're driving. You'll be amazed. Uh, or maybe you'll be like, no, I, I knew they were there. Come on. How did you not see those? Well, I didn't see them. And again, we don't always see the spiritual needs around us. We don't always see those people who need the gospel proclaimed to them. We don't always see those young Christians that maybe we could help take the next steps in their walk of faith. Let's be on mission to share the great news of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's be on mission with God. Let's urge people to give their allegiance to King Jesus. Here's my conclusion. It's not if we have a mission. We are all supposed to be at work with God in spreading the gospel. That's for all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We have a part to play in this. Again, it might not be like the Apostle Paul going by boat to the whole world as he knew it in that day. But every one of us who knows Jesus can do our part. We can help other people know Jesus. And if they know Jesus, we can help them grow in their faith. God will do his powerful work. Let's join with him in this co-mission. But in order for that to happen, we need to not be lazy about it. So this is where I want you to think about those people around you. I want you to notice them more. I want you to pray about noticing them more. I want you to pray for open doors for the gospel message. That's what Paul asked for prayer for in Colossians 4. I want us to pray for that. I want us to be people who pray that we would make the most of every opportunity, that God would give us the words seasoned with salt so we'd be able to speak truth and grace to people who desperately need it. But let's live our lives on mission. And let's remember that as we do that, we do it with God in the strength that he supplies because he loves these people around us way more than we do. Let's join with him on his mission and spread this wonderful news of the gospel message. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you sent people into our lives to share the gospel with us, whether that was a, a parent or a teacher or a pastor or a friend. We thank you that you brought your gospel message to us. And we offer ourselves to you now, God, in, in part of that process, um, as grateful people who have come to know you, we want to share that wonderful news of the gospel message with others. So we pray that you would open doors. And we pray that we would see the opportunities that you give and that we'd make the most of every one. God, would you give us the words to say? Would you give us love for the people around us? Would you give us eyes to see them? Help us to do our part in helping people know Jesus and grow in their faith. God, we thank you for what the gospel can do when it takes root. We thank you for what we've seen it do in our lives. And God, we pray that you would multiply that in Fergus Falls and the surrounding areas and all over the world for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.